Well, good morning again. I don't know if it's just me or whether you have felt it too, but life seems to be getting more difficult, getting harder, tougher, more complicated. I look around me, see more uh, and more hurting, wounded people. Uh, I, I can remember ministering to uh, college students back in the 70s. And though there, were plenty, there was plenty of pain and dysfunctional families back then, somehow it seems simpler. Uh, the degree of pain and, and dysfunction seems to be increasing. You know, maybe it's because we're becoming more sensitive to it, more aware of it. But regardless, the, the needs seem to be growing in, in number and intensity. You know, just look around you. Look at your families. Look at your friends, your neighborhoods, or, or cities, our society, our country, our world. Now, sometimes it is overwhelming. How can we possibly meet all of these needs? How can we even keep track of all of these needs? And if that weren't enough, uh, as soon as you stop looking out there at friends and family and society and start looking here at ourselves, we see even more needs. We not only see the needs around us, we see the deep needs in us. And often we feel flat, empty, uh, even useless at times. Our own needs, sometimes uh, the reality of those needs, whether we've really identified them or not, eclipse our ability to see anybody else's needs all too clearly. In the middle of this, we say, God, where are you? Why doesn't God do something? Well, I'm here this morning to tell you that God is here and that he has a plan. And I want to talk a little bit about that plan this morning. We're going to be looking at a passage that's very familiar to many of you, if not most of you. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12. But hopefully we're going to look at it perhaps from a little different angle. We're going to step back a little and look at the, at the bigger picture that it's involved with. 1 Corinthians 12 is about spiritual gifts. And that's what we're going to be talking about, spiritual gifts. But the bigger question is, how does that relate to my needs? How does that relate to the needs around me? How does that relate to who God is and what His plan is? Now, since we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts, I thought it would be appropriate right at the outset to define a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is not a talent or an ability. It's not the ability to speak well or to to play an instrument well. It's not a, uh, a natural talent or an acquired skill. A spiritual gift is an empowering by the Spirit of God to have a spiritual effect on another person. Now, let me explain that. Let's say I'm really hurting. Someone comes up to me and puts their arm around me. It's a very loving, generous, kind thing to do. But whereas one person putting their arm around me will make me appreciative of their love and concern. Another person coming and doing the very same thing will have a dramatic spiritual effect on me. It will somehow open my heart up to to the love and the comfort of my God. See, both are good. Both are acts of love. Both are ministry to me. But one is an expression of a spiritual gift because the Spirit of God empowers that touch to have a profound spiritual effect. And by spiritual effect, I mean that in some way it it softens me, that putting their arm around me opened me up, drew me in some small or large way toward God. 
And that's what spiritual life is all about. Knowing God. Intimacy with God. Now, God is a God of order. So uh, often, the talents and the skills that you've developed are the vehicle through which he expresses a spiritual gift. But they aren't the gift themselves. a, a, A skilled speaker may cause you to open up to something God wants to do in your life, open up in a new way to God. But that's not because of their skill at speaking. It's because the Holy Spirit empowers that to open your spirit. Somebody who is just as as gifted, just as skilled at speaking, may entertain you, may inform you, may keep you hanging on every word. But nothing happens to the heart. You're not open. You're not drawn toward God. The same for a musician or a singer. One person who is technically flawless may leave you flat while somebody else with the same amount of skill or maybe even less skill causes my spirit to rise to meet my God. See, that's what a spiritual gift is. We're going to be talking more about this as we go through. But I thought it was important right from the outset to to define it, to help us understand what we're talking about. A spiritual gift is an empowering by the Spirit of God to have a spiritual effect on another person. Well, let's look at our passage, starting with verse 1 of chapter 12. Now about spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul says he does not want us to be ignorant of spiritual things. Now, the the word there in the Greek is not spiritual gifts at this point. It's spiritual things, spiritual realities. Gifts are one of those realities. But there's another reality that he wants us to be aware of, and that is that there are beings other than the Spirit of God drawing us Toward things. Now, in the case of the Corinthians, they were being drawn toward idols. Uh, things other than God. It's, it's important in our lives to be aware of these spiritual realities, too. To not be ignorant of these influences, uh, of these forces, of these spiritual beings who would draw our hearts, our thoughts, our lives toward Something other than God, affecting us through our thinking, through our society. A couple weeks ago, David defined idolatry as putting your trust, your hopes in something other than God. And when we put our trust, our hope in something else, uh, we begin to be controlled by by that thing because we pursue it. It becomes the focal point of our lives. And so in our context, what these spiritual beings are going to be drawing us to is things other than God. Maybe to to depend on, to put our trust in them or in money. We look to money for our future, for our hope, for our security. Or we look uh, toward leisure activities for our peace and fulfillment. Or we look to our children or toward sex or toward your career or toward anything other than God that we put our trust and our hope in. You see, we were not created for intimacy with money. We were not created to focus on fame and and influence. We are created for intimacy with our God, and it's only with Him that our souls find rest. And Paul does not want us to be ignorant of these forces, of these influences in our lives and in our society, drawing us toward other things, 
making us say with our behavior, Jesus be cursed. Now, wait a minute, what does that mean, Jesus be cursed? Well, a, a curse is the opposite of a blessing. You see, we bless Jesus by drawing close to the Father through Him. We bless Jesus by expressing His love to other people. We bless Jesus by listening to His Word and believing it. We bless Jesus by submitting to His Lordship. And so anything that pulls us away from that, any expression in our lives, in our behavior, in our words, that is contradictory to that, is the opposite of blessing Him. It is cursing Him. It is saying with our words or our behavior that He is not trustworthy, that He is not capable, that He is not good, and we must look elsewhere. Again, that's why Paul says that no one can say with their life and behavior that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Again, this is how we can tell the influence of the Holy Spirit, the draw of the Holy Spirit as He opens us, as He softens us, as He gives us the courage to make Jesus our absolute boss, the one in whom we trust, the one we allow to control all of our decisions. Paul says no one can say with their lives that Jesus is Lord other than by the Spirit of God. And that becomes how we measure every influence, every force, every draw in our life, every, every thought, every, every um, desire is, is measured against that standard. Otherwise, we keep getting led astray, away from God's wonderful, mind-blowing, beautiful plan for our lives. And that plan he begins to describe in verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service or ministries, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. Paul starts by saying, there's all kinds of different gifts. That is, there are all kinds of ways that the Spirit manifests himself in people's lives. And then over in, in verse 8 through 11, he describes some of those. Let me read these. It says, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in, in different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one, just as He determines. You see, Paul gives this list of gifts, not to say this is all there is. He's just throwing out a bunch of them to help us realize that they're all different, and they're all different kinds of gifts, and that the gifts given to each person are going to be different. But He wants you to be sure you understand two things. One, they all come from the same Spirit. And two, everyone has them. Paul's real clear on that. Verse 7, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit has been given. In verse 11, he gives them to each one. No one is left out, as Ray Stedman said it. No one was behind the door when the gifts were being passed out. If you are a believer, whether or not you're using it, you have a gift or gifts. But how do I know? 
How am I going to know what it is? How am I going to know how to use it? What it's for? Well, Paul tells us that the Lord, Jesus, is responsible for giving you opportunities to use it. What he calls uh, kinds of service, kinds of ministry. Those words service and ministry, all they mean is an opportunity to serve. And as you take the opportunities he gives you, and you love people, you serve people, suddenly you, or not suddenly, but eventually you begin to see patterns of how He uses you, of the things He does through you that open people's hearts to blossom before God. And you start to realize that's the gift He's given me. That's how I affect people. And you see, Jesus as the Lord of His church, the Lord of His body, coordinates and designs all of this. He, he gives us opportunities according to His strategy, according to His plans to affect people, to have an impact on their lives, to love them. Right now I'm up here speaking. Somebody else, Bill, was up here earlier leading us in worship. And Dee was singing for us and leading us. And there's someone else teaching our children. Others holding our babies. These are all opportunities to serve. There's others who host a growth group during the week or make copies in the print room. All of these are opportunities to serve. But the Lord coordinates and works all of these together for a spiritual effect to bring us together toward God. That's His design. Now, I want to say something very important here. Everything, all the examples that I've given all had to do with things taking place in this building or at least within this church organization. And sadly, many people think that's where all the opportunities are. But if you think that, you're sadly mistaken. You see, the opportunities you have in this church are just a small fraction. As valuable as I think the programs and ministry of this church are, they are a tiny fraction of our Lord's plans, and even of the, the opportunities He's giving you personally, or me. See, our Lord is Lord of far more than this church. His plans are too big for any organization. He may be giving you and me opportunities within this body, but He's giving us other opportunities, other, other chances to serve people. He gives us opportunities within the church and He gives them to us outside of the church. You may walk out of this room and on your way out the lobby, He gives you the opportunity to put your arm around somebody who's hurting. And the Spirit of God will use that touch to profoundly affect that person. Open their heart to His love. Or or maybe you invite somebody home for lunch. And just the fact that somebody cared enough to invite them for lunch will open them to God in a way they've never been opened before. Or maybe you take home a child of a a single parent, giving that parent a break and and, and affirming their value and, and, and your love for them and affirming to that child their worth and their love, that God can use that in ways you can't imagine. So often the things we do seem so simple, but the effect so profound because that is the Spirit of God. Creating an effect. See, all of those things, none of those things are are official ministries of this church. But those are opportunities here. The kinds of opportunities He's going to be opening up to you. And then beyond uh, the needs of the people in this room. And maybe He's giving you an opportunity to meet some physical need in your family. 
Or to say a word to a neighbor or the guy next to you at work that will encourage them or comfort them. See, your Lord is opening opportunities all around you. Well, but how do we keep from being overwhelmed by all these opportunities? There seems to be no end. Well, you've got to realize you've got a smart Lord. He knows you. And He's got a design. And you aren't His only instrument. It's not on your shoulders. It's on His. He may use you for a word or a loving deed in this person's life. But in that same person's life, He's going to bring another part of His body, another person, to add a word, to add a loving act, a kind deed. And He's going to work this together to open this person and to open their heart and to express His love to them. Again, you aren't... His only resources, it doesn't rest on you. He doesn't want you to do, it, to do it all. He is designing it. He is coordinating it. He is targeting each person He wants to minister to. And He's going to use us together, not any one of us by ourselves. And there's one more fact that Paul wants us to see before we take a step back and, and marvel at the beauty of the whole plan. That is that the effects are not our responsibility. The effects are God's, the Father's. The Father is in charge of what effect that has on people. Now, that takes a load off of me. See, I'm not responsible for how my gift expressed in the, the ministry that God, the Lord has given me affects people. In fact, when you think about it, I'm not responsible for having the gift in the first place. I don't have to, to, <clears throat> to try to find one and grab one. I don't have to reach some spiritual plateau to receive one. No, the Spirit simply gives it. And I'm not responsible for the opportunity to minister. I don't have to, to push myself into situations. I don't have to thrash around. I don't have to promote myself. The Lord opens the opportunities and designs the opportunities to love people according to His plans, His designs. And I don't, I'm not responsible for the effect that has. I don't have to pressure people. I don't have to try to manipulate them or coerce them in any way to respond in any way. That's not my department. That's God's. I tend toward irresponsibility anyway, so I like this plan. <laughs> but let me give you three reasons why it is so good. First of all, like I said, it takes the load off of us. We don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. We don't have to be crushed by the needs we see around us. Our God will carry it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care. It still hurts to see people hurting. It still brings us to tears. But we can hurt, we can cry, we can feel it without taking responsibility for it. In fact, if we do take responsibility... We'll have to hide our eyes from the pain or it'll crush us. We can't look so boldly on it if we think we've got to fix it. This last week, I sat with two different women. One woman whose baby died at birth. The other woman whose baby was born uh, with profound brain damage. It broke my heart in each case. But if I thought I had to take responsibility, that I had to explain it, that I had to fix it, I couldn't have done it. It would have crushed me. I would have had to run away or at least push them away emotionally just to survive rather than being able to sit with them, to listen, and to just feel with them. And secondly, taking, or God taking His responsibility for things frees me 
to focus on my part. The fact that God carries the weight, takes the, 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 the responsibility, doesn't mean I don't have a part. I don't have something I am to focus on. We have a part. Our part, our focus in life, is to love people with His wisdom and His strength. That's what we've been called to do. Love one another. Love as you have been loved. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's our calling. That is our focus. That is our part. But I can't focus on that if I've got to solve the world's problems or even my family's problems or even my own problems. And third, if I'm to focus on loving people, I am absolutely, desperately dependent on God to accomplish that. I need to look to Him for the resources, for the gifts, for the opportunity, for the effectiveness, the impact on people's lives. See, at at every point and all the way through the process, I've got to stay engaged with Him, depending on Him, looking to Him, listening to Him, willing to share the sufferings of loving people, but at the same time, having a chance to see Him love through me and to affect people's lives. And being filled with the praise. Giving Him the glory for that. Delighting in that glory. See, that's what life is all about. That's what makes life exciting. That's what we're here for. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting at one of the debriefings of the Jamaica team. They were talking about some of their experiences down there. These folks went down to Jamaica to love those people. But they went down desperately dependent on God. They're going to a foreign country. They depended on God to find a meal, to find a bathroom. They were dependent on God just to communicate with people. They were dependent on God for the opportunities to minister and the effect of that ministry. And I sat there with 12 excited people who were marveling at God's ability to use them, His faithfulness. They were living life, a life dependent on Him, a life focused on loving people, a life filled with His praises. See, we don't have to go to Jamaica to experience that. That's God's design. That's His plan for us here and now. Let me put in a free advertisement right here. Is your Christian life dull and going in circles? Are you seeing the power of God in your life? That that list of of gifts that I read in verses 8 through 10, some of those are, are, are seemingly fairly mundane, Wisdom, knowledge, but a lot of those were miraculous. Healings, workings of miracles, they were demonstrations of the power of God. Are you seeing the power of God in your life? Well, maybe it's because you are not engaged in His plan. You're not putting yourself in places where you need to see the power of God. You're not focused on loving people and so radically dependent on Him for the gifts, for the opportunities, for the effects and the impact on people's life. You're not in a position where you need to see that power. You don't have the opportunity to see His power. Now, I don't say this so that we can all uh, be entertained by miracles in our lives. You can go to a magic show for that. But what I'm talking about is becoming engaged, involved in His plan, letting Jesus be your Lord. Start loving people. Sometimes the easiest place to start, 
is by getting involved with an organized ministry where you get some training and then take what you're learning about loving people there and apply it to the other opportunities in your life, the other relationships, the other doors God's opening. Or maybe just focus on loving the people that you work with and turn to God in, in dependence for the, for the gifts and the opportunities and the impact there, willing to go through the fear and the struggle and the pain of really loving like that. But having the opportunity to see God use you like you never imagined. And needing Him, drawing close to Him like never before. It's not easy. It's sure not pain-free. In fact, if you commit yourself to ministry, to loving people, you'll struggle like never before. But that's what it's all about. Ask your Lord how and where He wants to use you. Let me calm down a little. I get to preaching sometimes. I get excited. Get back to our passage. If you uh, notice, Paul has mentioned all three persons of the Trinity in this section so far. That's because God not not only designs this, this plan... But he models it, and it expresses his character, his personality, diversity with unity. Each person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, doing their part, and it all working together for the same goal. That's the heart of his plan for us. Diversity with unity. Each of us different, with different gifts and different opportunities to use those gifts, and different impact on people's lives, different effects but all working toward the same goals, working together for those same goals, loving people and meeting needs in such a way that their hearts are open to God, the one who they were created for, the one their hearts long for, the one that can really meet their needs. Let's take a step back and uh, take a look at this plan. For several years, I uh, would meet every week for lunch with a couple of uh, engineers out at HP. And they would tell me some of the design problems they were running into. And I would marvel at the solutions they would come up for these incredibly complex problems. They would come up with very simple solutions that would solve a whole network of problems. And that's what they pay engineers to do, to come up with simple solutions for very complex problems. And often those, the, the, what makes those solutions so profound is that they are so simple. The same thing is true of our Lord's wonderful design. You know, here we are, wounded, hurting, needy people in a world full of wounded, hurting, needy people. And we look around and the problem just seems so huge and, and so complex as to be hopeless. But our God's simple design is to focus us on loving, and then to supply us with the resources to accomplish that, the gifts and the opportunities and the the effect, while we depend on Him. And look at how it all fits together. See, as we engage in loving people, depending on Him, we are drawn to Him because we need Him. We need to see His power to fulfill that, to accomplish it. We need His wisdom, and so we, we stay close to Him, and we are growing spiritually. 
We're being filled with His praise as we see Him work. And we grow spiritually. But in the meantime, as we are growing closer to Him spiritually, we are meeting needs. We are affecting others. And if you remember, spiritual gifts have the effect of opening people to God. And so they are being open to God and being drawn toward Him. And as they come into a vital relationship with God, they too then turn to Him. And He directs them toward loving people. And He gives them the resources. And they begin to meet needs as they draw closer to God. And in that process, our needs begin to be met. You see, we are not just need meters. We have needs. There are not two classes of Christians, those with needs and those that meet needs. We are all both. But it's God's design as we all draw closer to Him. He focuses us on loving each other and needs get met. And we bond together in love and unity. And finally, as the world sees the way we love each other, they see the reality of God's power. As we go out and exercise our gifts and meet their needs in such a way that opens their heart to the Lord, they're drawn toward God. And as we come back together and express our love for each other, they see in that the reality of our Lord. What a beautiful, simple, yet profound plan. God is brilliant. Sometimes the plan breaks down. Why? How? Well, if I'm not focused on loving people, if I'm not out there using my gifts, then I'm not needing God so much. People's needs aren't being met. I'm not drawing close to God. My Christian life gets flat. Others aren't having their needs met. Their hearts opened up to Him. And it all breaks down. But knowing all this, why wouldn't we use our gifts? Well, for the rest of the passage, Paul gives us four simple reasons why we don't use our gifts. The first is that we don't understand the basic spiritual dynamic. Verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit To drink. Paul says we were all baptized into one body. Now, the word baptized means to be placed into something. If you're baptized in water, you're placed in water. That's symbolic of having been placed in Christ, in his body. That means we are so identified with him that we are part of his body. We are part of him. And quite frankly, that's why God loves us. Because He loves Christ and we are in Christ. Therefore, He loves us. That's how we got to be children of God because He is the Son of God and we are in Him and therefore we are children of God. See, that's the basis for our entire relationship with the Father. Not anything we do or don't do, not anything we earn, but we have been placed into Christ so that what's true of Him is true of us. Therefore, we have the same relationship with the Father That he does. The Father is as delighted to see you as he is to see Jesus Christ. That's the basis of our relationship with God. However, the basis of our ability to to live an effective Christian life is not that we are in Christ, but that he is in us. We have drunk the Spirit. We have taken His life into us. And it is, it is His life working through us in our words and our behavior that makes us effective in living the Christian life. 
And you see, when we don't understand these two basic spiritual dynamics, we don't understand that that the key is abiding in Him and him Him in us, you in Christ and Christ in you, when we don't understand this, we spend all of our time and energy trying to earn God's favor, to work our way into His acceptance by our own efforts. Or we, we try to live the Christian life and minister to people on our own efforts. And you can no more do these things than you can swallow the ocean. But when our lives are focused, when we don't understand the basis of our acceptance before God and the life that He places in us to, to live out in ministry putting all of our energy and trying to gain favor before Him or trying to live the Christian life on our own efforts, there's no way we can focus on loving people and expressing our gifts through serving them and seeing God affect them. The second uh, impediment to using our gifts that Paul mentions is our inferiority complexes. Paul has already mentioned that we are part of the body of Christ. But he uses that picture, the body of Christ, to humorously show how silly our inferiority complexes are. So just think about it. In the physical body, the foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not important, I'm not part of the body. The ear can't say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? I have a friend who was teaching this to some high school students, the church I, was, I interned in. His wife was about to have a baby. So what he did is he took this football, painted it white, painted this big iris on it, and he wrapped it in a baby blanket, and he took it to the youth group. And everybody thought that was his new baby. And so they'd come up and they'd lift the blanket, and here's this big eyeball looking at it. <laughs> and they'd all go, oh, gross, and they'd back away, which is exactly Paul's point. You know, if the whole body were just one part, that would be gross. That would be grotesque. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We are not all the same. We aren't supposed to be all the same, even though often we try to be all the same. That isn't God's design. God's design is to work uniquely through you in who you are and how He has designed you with the specific gifts He has given you and the opportunities He gives nobody but you. And the impact that he's going to have that is unique to you. When we compare ourselves to other people, we we harm ourselves. We rob ourselves of the joy of God using us uniquely as we are. When we compare ourselves with other people, sometimes we are distracted by feelings of inferiority. But even worse, sometimes we feel superior. We feel better than other people. Again, Paul uses the, the picture of the human body to show how absurd this is. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And if you've ever gotten something in your eye, you know that's not true. That eye needs that hand. And you know, the hand doesn't sit around thinking, well, should I help out? Does that eye really deserve my time and my energy? Now that hand comes straight to the eye immediately to protect it and to care for it. That's the way it should work within the body, that we respond to each other's needs because they're there without trying to measure the relative value and importance of that person or that person's gift or, or, or how I should relate to them. No, when there's a need, we respond. Nobody's better or worse than anyone else. You see, we didn't choose the gifts we got. The Spirit gives them as He chooses And we don't choose the opportunities. 
Our Lord directs us and moves us to choosing what relationships to commit to for a time and what ministries to get involved in and where and how we minister. And we're not even able to choose the impact, the effect it has on people. The Father chooses that. Where in any of this do we have any business feeling any better or worse than anyone else? Well, the final impediment to using our gifts is how we as people look at the relative value of other people within the body. Not just their gifts, but that person, whether they are valued or precious. And Paul uses, again, the body picture. He says there are some parts of our body that we're comfortable exposing. In fact, we're kind of proud of these parts. want everybody to see them. But there are other parts that we hide, that we conceal, that we protect. Well, that's fine. That's normal. That's appropriate. But when we start thinking that those parts that we are hiding, that we are concealing, that are concealed, are, there, are concealed because they're not of value. They're somehow inferior. There's something to be ashamed of. Paul says, you're wrong. That's not the way it works. In fact, that's so distorted. So often it's the other way around. That sometimes these concealed things are of greater value. You know, I'm up here again speaking this morning. But if you think that the important thing is whoever is up here speaking, you're mistaken. You know, it's my desire and my prayer that God will use this to open your hearts and draw you to God. To focus you on loving people in your life and around you and taking the opportunities and help you choose between the opportunities that the Lord gives you to love. But if you don't do that, What good are we doing here? If you don't draw close to God and take this into your homes and your neighborhoods and your workplaces, then then we're wasting our time. I think even beyond that, when our Lord comes again and all is revealed, I think we will discover to our amazement that what has made this church effective, what has expanded the kingdom more than anything, is not so much what's said up here from the front, but what's prayed in the back rooms. And that act of kindness in the nursery. And that word of comfort in the lobby. Somebody who's hurting. Or those prayers in the growth group. We'll discover that these things, which are often the concealed things, the hidden things, are so precious to God. Henry Nouwen, in his book, um, In the Name of Jesus, relates an experience that I think just comes right to the heart of this. And I'd like to read to you a little from his epilogue. Nowen was uh, working in a home for mentally handicapped adults at the time. But he was asked to come to Washington, D.C. to address a large gathering of Christian leaders uh, to talk about Christian leadership. Nowen had been a a professor and and a Christian leader for many years. And so he was preparing his talk. And before he left, he invited one of the... uh, retarded adults that lived there with him to come with him, a guy by the name of Bill. And Bill said, Henry, are we going to do this together? And Henry said, yes, Bill, we're going to do this together. And so from that point on, Bill proudly went around telling everybody, Henry and I are going to Washington, D.C., and we're going to give a talk, and we're going to give it together. Let me read from this passage, or from this section. After a delicious buffet dinner in one of the ballrooms, decorated with golden statues and little fountains, Vincent Dwyer introduced me to the audience. 
At that moment, I still did not know what doing it together with Bill would mean. I opened by saying that I had not come alone, but was very happy that Bill had come with me. Then I took my handwritten text and began my address. At that moment, I saw that Bill had left his seat, walked up to the podium, and planted himself right behind me. It was clear that he had a much more concrete idea about doing it together than I. Each time I finished reading a page, he took it away and put it upside down on a small table close by. I felt very much at ease with this and started to feel Bill's presence as a support. But Bill had still more in mind. When I began to speak about the temptation to turn stones into bread as a temptation that was relevant, he interrupted me and he said loudly for everyone to hear, I've heard that before. And he had indeed. He just wanted the priests and the ministers who were listening to know that he knew me quite well and was familiar with my ideas. For me, however, it felt like a gentle, loving reminder that my thoughts were not as new as I wanted my audience to believe. Bill's intervention created a new atmosphere in the ballroom, lighter, easier, and more playful. Somehow, Bill had taken away the seriousness of the occasion, had brought to it some homespun normality. As I continued my presentation, I felt more and more that we were indeed doing it together, and it felt good. Then I came to the second part and was reading the words, The question most asked by the handicapped people with whom I live was, Are you home tonight? Bill interrupted me again and said, That's right, that is exactly what John Smelter always asks. Again, there was something disarming about his remark. Bill knew John Smeltzer very well after having lived with him in the same house for many years. He simply wanted people to know about his friend. And it was as if the audience drew toward us, inviting them into the intimacy of our common life. After I had finished reading my text and people had shown their appreciation, Bill said to me, Henry, can I say something now? My first reaction was, oh, how am I going to handle this? He might start rambling and create an embarrassing situation. But then I caught myself in my presumption that he had nothing of importance to say. And I said to the audience, would you please sit down? Bill would like to say a few words to you. Bill took the microphone and said with all the difficulties that he has in speaking. Last time when Henry went to Boston, he took John Smeltzer. This time he wanted me to come to Washington. And I'm very glad to be here with you. Thank you very much. That was it. And everyone stood up and gave him warm applause. As we walked away from the podium, Bill said to me, Henry, how did you like my speech? Very much, I answered. Everyone was really happy with what you said. Bill was delighted. As people gathered for drinks, he felt freer than ever. He went from person to person, introduced himself and asked how they liked the evening and told them all sorts of stories about his life in daybreak. I did not see him for more than an hour. He was too busy getting to know everybody. The next morning at breakfast, before we left, Bill walked from table to table with his cup of coffee in his hands and said goodbye to all those he knew from the evening before. It was clear to me that he had made many friends and felt very much at home in these, for him, so unusual surroundings. As we flew back together to Toronto, Bill looked up from the word puzzle book that he takes with him wherever he goes, and he said, Henry, did you like our trip? Yes, I answered. It was a wonderful trip, and I'm so glad that you came with me. Bill looked at me attentively, and he said, And we did it together, didn't we? Then I realized the full truth of Jesus' words. Where two or three meet in my name, I am among them. In the past, I had always given lectures and sermons and addresses and speeches by myself. Often I had wondered how much of what I said would be remembered. Now it dawned on me that most likely much of what I said would not be long remembered. But what Bill and I doing together would not easily be forgotten. 
I hoped and prayed that Jesus, who had sent us out together and had been with us all during the journey, would have become a reality to those who had gathered in the Clarendon Hotel. As we landed, I said to Bill, Bill, thank you so much for coming with me. It was a wonderful trip. And what we did, we did together in Jesus' name. And I meant it. Now, both Henry and Bill used their spiritual gifts. And God, by His grace, used each of them for His glory. But which of them on that day do you think God used more profoundly? Which had the greater impact? The educated, uh, articulate, well-trained, skilled educator? Or the simple, loving, retarded adult? See, all God asks is that we go out there, that we focus on loving, that we depend on Him, and He will show His glory. Let's pray. Lord, You are a wonder. Your wisdom is so great. Your plans are so simple. We so easily get distracted and pulled off into debating theological points and feeling like we've got to uh, pressure people to responding in a certain way. We begin to take so much that uh, you carry and you gladly carry. And we start putting it on our own shoulders rather than trusting you radically. Just focusing on loving people, serving them, Letting you manifest yourself as we, as we talk to you about it, as we express our dependence. Lord, I uh, just praise you that as we allow you, as we turn to you, depend on you, you will show your glory through us and you will meet our needs through each other. Lord, please bring this about in our lives and in this congregation. Pray this in your name. Amen.